Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of Align with Lina. And today it is June the 22nd, 2020. Yes, we're smack dab in the middle of this amazing year where we get to see things a lot, a lot clearer. We get to uh, choose, if we so choose to transform, if we don't want to transform, we get to stay where we are. But this is a very important year for what is happening to this planet that is ascending to a new level of consciousness. And because to go to that new level, we must shed something old, like a, like a snake sheds its old skin when it's about to get a new one. I am super excited that I have an amazing guest. Now, I have the pleasure of introducing you not only to somebody that is, is a colleague and wonderful at what she does, but she's a friend. And one of the things that is so wonderful about, about Melody and I is that we have a lot of things in common. We've done a lot of the same workshops. You know, we did Avatar together. Well, not at the same time, but we have that in common. And some of my favorite things were coming to do the priestess ceremony that you uh, facilitated at your house, that amazing introduction. Um, and our fun walks in in the park, I do miss that, our, our walks along, you know, the Roswell Creek. So welcome. Um, Thank you. Mary. Thank you. It's lovely to be here with you. Yes, I know you moved away, but you moved to a beautiful place that I need to come visit you. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so let's go ahead and, and start where we start with everybody. And that is, when did you begin to realize that there was more to life than what you had been basically trained or conditioned or domesticated, whatever your word you want to say, you know, taught yeah. what life was supposed to be like? When did you begin to see that there, there was something off and there clearly had to be more? So I would use the word indoctrinated for that. <laughs> and as a young Mormon girl, I was well and truly indoctrinated. And I am very grateful for all of the ways my life at the time felt like it was going off the rails and things weren't proceeding as I had expected from making the best choices I could possibly make. But I would, so there were many, many experiences where I felt like, oh, this this isn't really happening the way I was trained to believe. But for me, the most profound, I was 35 years old and I was holding my mother as she passed. Mm. And I had what is now being called a shared death experience. Okay. And that changed everything for me. That was the foundation of me actually really up leveling my understanding of the way the world works. That was my first glimpse that I am a multidimensional being. Wow, at 35. So so here you are, your mom is on the verge of transitioning and you are you are having this experience. So take us to what was going on in your mind at that time because you might not even known what was happening. You were just experiencing something and probably with your Mormon upbringing didn't have languaging or Right. Well, the good thing about growing up Mormon is I grew up with a natural, I mean, I think I came in with some natural sen uh, sensitivities and spiritual gifts. And there was there was some way to hold that in the Mormon church. Okay. So that was that was really lovely. I wasn't shunned for having the intuition and the sense that I had. Um, I will say, though, that I'm the kind of person that when I'm facing something difficult, I believe that knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. And so I educate myself. 
And uh, that made me a little different than the rest of my family. My mother had had, when my oldest child, and I'm the oldest of my parents' children, so I had the oldest grandchild, and she was six months old when my mother um, developed cancer, breast cancer. And she had a mastectomy, and a year later, she had another one. And mm -hmm. shortly after that, the doctors told her that the cancer was all through her lymph system and that she needed to prepare herself that she had six months to live. Mm -hmm. Well, she did, um, she did something really remarkable, really stunning for her. And it really developed this whole new identity for her. I was begging and pleading with her to, to uh, take a natural approach. And it was especially welcomed after the doctors had said, there's nothing we can do. Uh, my mother followed my counsel and went to Boston to the Hippocrates Health Institute. And she worked with Ann Wigmore. And she came home drinking carrot juice and wheatgrass juice. After six weeks, my mother was exercising. None of us knew who she was. I mean, it was a completely different identity. And she for about a year, she did this detoxing process mm. and her health improved. Her cancer went into remission. And then, um, so a total of 16 years after the first cancer. Um, and at about year 15, I could see that she was coming out of remission. I could see that the cancer was advancing and she was in complete denial of this. But I started preparing myself. And Lina, the only book available to me at the time was Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's book on death and dying. Oh, how, wow. Yeah, so that was, very, yeah, that was very helpful. And what was even more helpful is that one of the women I went to church with had just become the first female funeral director in the state of Tennessee where I lived. So it was such a synchronicity, a blessing. She took me under her wing and she gave me a real in-person education about what to expect and how to support. So um, I was the one who helped my mother come out of denial. And what I realized as I would drive from, my, leave my children and drive six hours and spend a week caring for my mother, each time I would walk in the room, and I would immediately register, oh, her body, like things have changed, things have progressed. And we have this natural hardwiring. I think those of us who are empathetic, um, I could feel where in her body there was contraction, there was pain. I would immediately clench, my, my gut would clench mm. at seeing and feeling the, the painful experience she was in. And then I would require that I just take some deep breaths. Like I would just force myself in the doorway to take some deep breaths and to put all of my attention on her. And then I would put my hands, and this was 10 years before my Reiki training. I would put my hands on or over certain areas of her body and she would soften and look at me and say, how do you know where the pain is? And I, I would say, Mom, I don't know how I know. But it was literally the same thing I would do with my babies when they were too young to speak. You go into feel, right? 
Yeah. And so yeah, exactly. It's a natural instinctive thing for a mother. Right. And so in that process, I began to be aware as I was caring for her that there were certain thoughts and beliefs I was having that were not helpful in putting all of my attention on her and keeping it there. And I began to realize that these certain limiting beliefs were really creating a barrier or a wall. And they were beliefs that are held in the collective, like death is a failure, which I heard some of her doctors say, and the people in this health community, death is a failure, not just of the medical system to heroically save the patient, but death is a failure of your ability to cleanse or your ability to pray in our wow. church. And, yeah. and so I had to let go of that. And I had to let go of other beliefs that um, that really got in the way. So I was so in feel and in tune with my mother that the day she died, I my sisters were all aware. They've told me later. They were all they all knew that that would be the day she died. I was so in the moment with her. I wasn't thinking ahead like that. And at the moment where she was passing, I was on the bed with her. I was holding her and I had my hand feeling her pulse. And as I felt her pulse fade, I also felt that all of her attention was going into a word I wouldn't have or I, I wouldn't have a word for this for 10 years until I did my Kundalini yoga teacher training. But I felt her attention go within and go into a tunnel. Mm. And I now know that that tunnel is called the Shishumna, what the oh. yogis call the central nerve channel of the spine. Mm. And in that dark tunnel, as her consciousness traveled upwards to the light here at the crown center, um, she was doing a life review. <laughs> so feeling her and feeling the process, the journey was just moments. But for her, time was no longer. And yeah. she was taking all the time she needed to do this life review. And as she exited her body through the crown, I felt and saw the light in the room. I felt and saw her welcoming committee that included her dad, mm -hmm. whom I have never met because he died when she was five years old. But I recognized him yeah. from the not just the pictures, but the joy in her in their embrace yeah and she was greeted by many and we were on the bed sobbing like at this point her pulse had stopped like we were all crying we knew the spirit had left her body you were in your loss and she is now in her next phase of celebration and, she, and at at one point i saw and felt her turn around look down at us and when she saw us weeping she sent, she just opened the heart center and sent a stream of love. And as mm. it penetrated, it literally, our tears stopped midair. And we looked at each other in kind of shock, like, oh my go gosh, did you feel that? The joy. And we mm. were, so I'm the only one that experienced the whole shared death uh, experience, but all my, my sisters and my dad experienced her joy, that pulse of joy. And she was with us for a few moments, and then we all felt her leave. And we knew that she had gone to be with my two brothers who weren't there in the room. And sure enough, we called them moments later, and they both knew she had passed. 
because they felt her in the room with them. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, I was getting chills multiple times at various points in, in your share. What a privilege yes. that you were able to yes. be present to witness that transition. Oh, it was a true privilege. And so wow. from that, from that moment, it that moment has shaped everything. First of all, to watch someone in the in the weeks leading up to her passing come from denial into anger into bargaining you know all of the phases yeah. that we go through and then mm -hmm. finally land in this beautiful place of acceptance with still enough time mm -hmm. with enough time that um she could go through what i call the emotional process of dying that she could say her last words to her children to her grandchildren mm -hmm. to her closest friends and that she could really have those last words those moments yeah. of forgiveness and then um go go into what i call the departing process so her death was a conscious death meaning she was in a place of acceptance mm -hmm. she was not afraid to die she was partnering with the processes of dying. And it, that, was, that was my initiation into what I call the death mysteries. So I've had, I've midwife now I, 13 of my closest loved ones and I've coached countless others through the dying process. I've, mid, I've, I've seen many, many conscious deaths and some, some not conscious, some wow. with a what lot of resistance. What a beautiful, um, I got so many things going on in my mind. So I'll, I'll just start where, where they start coming out. But what a beautiful gift that you, you didn't even know what was going on. You were just present to what is. And clearly your level of sensitivity, your level of, of intuition, you were the perfect person to be there and experience this to then now be somebody who actually midwives uh death experiences transition so how how beautiful and of course we're going to talk about your book transforming death which is i'm only halfway through and it's absolutely incredible um what a gift because it's a gift of awareness and when we can go through like you were saying through the death experience consciously you have awareness about what's happening it is not meant to be painful yeah. yes the sadness is there because you're going to lose the physical of a loved one but right. it is not meant to be painful because it's actually a return to the where we all come from and exactly. we're, there is no separation um yes. well i i have to i have to inject my my little death story with yes. um well, it's not so little. It's actually a very important death story with my mom. You know, when my mom died, I was 41 years old. And by that time, I had already had grandparents who had passed. My dad had already passed. I had friends, you know, people my age. I had the children of friends. So going to funerals and going through that process of, of the, the, the experience of the grieving, that was not foreign to me. What was very foreign to me when my mom passed is that it took me to a level of fear I had never experienced around death. And I was like, what the heck is happening here? Now, I'm going to share a little bit about um, the moment when she passed. And then I'm going to tell you about that fear because it's two separate things, but they're connected. So when my mom passed and I, 
I have so many people tell me I need to write this book because it is actually one of those funny uh, moments filled with with a lot of heartache. So there's unbelievable crazy laughter and unbelievable crazy anger and sadness and you name it. We four sisters who we were about to kill each other, <laughs> and you had a couple of partners in there, and oh my goodness, it was crazy. But my mom died of. Um, kidney failure. And what, and it was a very slow process, she would not do dialysis or anything else to to preserve her life. So we knew for about 20 years, my mom was going to die of kidney failure, because the medication she was taking for something else was going to deteriorate the kidneys. So for about maybe 10 years before my mom's passing, she decided that she was going to commit suicide. And she uh, went ahead and and started planning and let all of us know uh, four daughters that she was going to go ahead and take her own life when it got uncomfortable she did not want to have pain so she gave each and every one of us the exact formula of what she was going to be using for her death and told us where it was in her home but she didn't want to implicate us too too much because if she killed herself and then they found out that we knew and we didn't stop her blah 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 so when all this craziness was going on with my mom's passing and here she is with hospice now and we're at the end of her life one of my sisters and i we looked at each other and thought you know this is terrible to watch mom lingering here let's go ahead and suicide her so we went and we got the stuff and we started planning and plotting and eventually you know there was the excitement of we're going to release mom and then there was oh shit what if the police comes you know so we were kind of caught in this thing and eventually we decided no we were both chicken i think she was the first one to be sensible and say no and i was like okay thank goodness um and within a couple of hours we were back in the room my sister decided to do a, a prayer and i can't remember which prayer in her her catholic book and i think she even read it in spanish because we're latin and I think her little, she might have had it memorized. So we say the prayer and I, it, it was so unbelievable. I had no consciousness. I was not in my spiritual journey. I didn't know any, anything about past lives or future lives. That, that was not in my consciousness. All I knew is that, you know, we're Catholic, you die, you go to hell. I felt my mother exit her body. I felt something, I was so moved. And that activated two emotions in me almost simultaneously. I was, I was going back be between the two. One, I was so in awe of what I had just witnessed. It was like, wow, there, there was a, a peace about it. And then at the same time, there was this terror because then my ego mind kicked in, the fears, it, she's gonna go to hell. She's going to go to hell. I know her. I know her secrets. <laughs> and boy, that began to activate, then I'm going to go to hell. So I began my spiritual journey through searching, is this hell thing really real? Because I, I was so terrorized by it. And that sent me on this journey. And wow. So I say she gave birth to me twice, once physically and once spiritually, because her passing was my, my entry into the world of, of spirituality to begin to recognize our eternal self. So I could drop all these fears about the afterlife and recognize that the whole thing of hell, you know, that's all made up. 
you know, all that fear is all made up and controlling people. And it doesn't let us live our lives fully when we operate in that level of terror. <laughs> but here you are, you like me, we didn't know about all this stuff. You know, you grew up Mormon, I grew up Catholic. What did the Mormon uh, teachings tell you about death? What, what, what was it that you knew was in your mind about death at that time? Right. Well, um, Mormons are a little bit gentler about it. They don't call it hell. Uh, <laughs> however, um, someone like me who has left the Mormon church, I'm, according to the Mormons, I'm going to outer darkness. So picture a black hole. That's where I'm going to be. Yeah. At least there's no fire. So, yeah, that is right. better. There's no fire. But, you know, <laughs> frankly, hell, outer darkness, these are states of being that we experience here based on our beliefs about what is happening. And so um, I it would take me many more years after her passing. Um, let's see. I yeah, it was it was 10 years after her passing before I finally emancipated myself, finally graduated myself out of this one up one down system right where you know there's the the more masculine um power structure over the the more feminine and i yeah. had to like that in the catholic church you've got the father and everybody else yes yes yeah. and so what i had to do at that point is is locate within my own consciousness where is that where is that patriarchal um uh where are those beliefs located? Where are those um, patterns and habits? We all have an inner patriarch simply by virtue of living in this culture, what, whatever religion we came up in. So I've had to do a lot of work around that. And what happened when my mom died and five years later when my sister died and two years after that when my son died, um, what, what began to happen for me is because of the sensitivity and because I, I was able to keep all of my awareness on the one dying, I had the most glorious shared death experiences that eradicated the indoctrination and the fear that I had been holding, especially the one with Logan. I had just a spectacular shared death experience. And after that one- Let's tell people who Logan is, because I my, know. My son, my 17 year old son. 17, yeah. He was 17 and he was a passenger in a car. His friend had just gotten his license and we, don't, we still don't know today what caused him on a clear day with no traffic around to drive off the road into a ditch he hit a utility pole, which came down on top of Logan. Mm. And I wouldn't find out for a year that Logan was dead when the paramedics arrived and they revived him. And they mm. took him to Vanderbilt Hospital. And um, when I went, when I got there, when I got to the hospital um, I, and walked into the room and saw my son bleeding still they hadn't cleaned up bleeding from his ears bleeding from his nose like glass in his face like it was horrifying and um my gut just clenched and i took some moments to breathe and then i went to his side and touched him and i said logan we are here to help you recover we are here for as long as that takes if that's what you and god want and we're here to let you go with our love if that's what you and God want. Now that last sentence, I had not put that in my, the only thing, traveling to the hospital, the only thing I could 
that my mind was thinking and focused on is my son has got to live. My son has got to live. Yeah. So I get to the hospital and my oldest son was standing across, across the um, bed and he was watching me as I held Logan and as I said, my, as I verbalized my intentions. And when I got to the part of we're here to let you go with love, he, he looked at me with this shock on his face. What are you saying? Yeah. And I, I had the same shock because I didn't put that there. But now looking back, I do believe that there was a part of me that knew and was, well, maybe I won't say prepared because I don't know that we can ever be prepared for a moment like that. Um, but we almost lost Logan three times when he was little. And no one in our family had died. We didn't have any pets that had died. Logan came to me at age three. He had some cars and trucks in his hand and he was just playing. And he said, mommy, me die with a big smile on his face, me die. Mm. And I said, Logan, um, what do you mean? And he said, me die. And I said, do you mean you want to go back to heaven and be with heavenly father and Jesus? And he said, yes, me die. And I said, well, Logan, it's your turn to be here and have a body and, um, <laughs> and, and learn and grow and learn everything you came here to learn. And, and he said, okay, me die. And I said, when you're finished learning everything you came to learn, then it will be your turn to die. And he said, okay, well, <laughs> somehow, somehow that conversation got recorded. And when I came back from the funeral, I listened to a, unmarked cassette tape in his special box and that conversation was in there and i i don't have any idea how he even knew what death meant at yeah. three years old because we had not discussed it it was not part of our family's experience and yet there was something in him that knew and there were looking back now he had at least two other moments where i know he had that premonition and so and so in that moment, um, you know, I verbalized something that my heart wasn't even willing to admit. And later that night, Logan came to me and I became aware of a presence. Now, when my mom, before my mom died, Lina, um, I was sitting on the bed watching her sleep. And I use sleep in quotes because as you probably know from midwifing your own mother's death, um, the dying sleep like the newborns sleep. Like there's more happening in their sleep than there is for our sleep, right? I believe that as someone is approaching death, their sleep is informed by their, their yeah. welcoming team. Yeah. And so I was watching her sleep and she had this beautific glow and this smile and she opens her eyes and I, you know, after a moment I say, mom, after you die, if you're able to let me know that you're okay will you will you come back and let me know you're okay and she said well of course i will and then she closed her eyes and fell back asleep and i got to thinking and i thought oh wait a minute how am i going to know it's her so when she opened her eyes again i said so mom i think we need to organize a signal how am i going to know it's you like do you want to slam the door like what, what we should organize something and she said honey she laughed. She said, honey, it's going to feel like it feels when I hug you. 
<laughs> and it does, it does feel yeah. that way. So, so that night after the accident, I came wide awake and I knew someone was in the room. And I, my first thought is it's my mom and she's come to comfort me. And then I realized, no, it doesn't feel like my mom. And then I thought, well, maybe it's my sister, Ruthie. And I realized, no, that's not what Ruthie feels like. So I opened my awareness and asked the question, who is this? And I hear Logan say, mom, I have a choice. I want to go on. Please let me go. Mm. And the moment my heart surrendered, mm. he took me with him through the weave of space and time. <clears throat> and I describe it to the best of my ability in the book, but really there are honestly no words to describe that kind of experience. I just knew that when I came back into my body, all of my fear of death was gone. Yeah. yeah. Chills again. Chills again. Wow. What, what, a, what an incredible experience that, you know, it, it is clear you came to be, to be, to embody one who can move between the two worlds with ease to help bridge people between the physical world and the non-physical world to assist in that transition. So thank you for taking on that role um, because clearly you've had to go through the, the discomfort of the losses so many times to be good at what you are. Well, so. and one thing I want to say about not just anticipatory grief, which I didn't really, well, I guess in a way I had in that three days between um, when the accident happened and when he was taken off of life support because he had no brain function, there were three days of anticipatory grief for sure. But with most people that I've midwifed, you know, it's a long um, pr preparation for everyone. And there is grief and grief has a gift. Grief has such a gift. And I describe this in my book, each one of the processes of grief, whether we're talking about denial or anger or bargaining or um, depression or acceptance or the emotional process, each one of these has gifts to give us. And, and because I'm so familiar with those, with those gifts, um, I am familiar with what some of my teachers call a shamanic death or the death of an identity. Mm -hmm. And of course, looking back now on my life before my mother passed, I had already been through some of those, some of those, you know, shamanic death, the death of an identity where something you love or some way you identify yourself is ripped away from you. And the whole rug or foundation underneath you is gone. And it's so important, I believe, especially in these times, to prepare ourselves for what that feels like. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. You know, in, in reading your book, which everybody, you're going to want to read this book. And not only for the preparation for the, the transition of physical death, but for the preparation of exactly what Melody is talking about, we we are also going to experience, have been experiencing, it's part of the, the uh, us being here. Well, hello, Miss Penelope. 
um, being here on, in physical form, we are going to experience the death of our identity. And it's not one identity, there's many. Exactly. You know, when, when we grow from, when we leave the bassinet and go into the crib, there's a death of that infant and newborn. Yes. When we move yes. out of the bassinet and we go to the bed, there's a death of that toddler. Um, so all of these spaces, we, we have not been taught in this, in this culture to really acknowledge the shamanic aspect because it is a what I'm what I'm gonna call a um, it it is a, a transition that should be honored. It should be a a rite of passage so that you know that you're leaving something and moving into something else. But we don't we don't have the reverence for life in this culture because we don't have reverence for transition. We don't have reverence for the death experience, the completion of something um, that then allows us to, to move into that next phase with not only with grace, but also with the reverence that is necessary to live your life fully while you're here in physical form. And let, let me just talk about um, these segments that are in, in this beautiful book that Melody has written, Transforming Death, Creating Sacred Space for the Dying by Melody LeBaron. So one of the, the chapters as she is describing these transitions is that we gotta prepare ourselves for the physical process of dying. There is, it is a process. So as you prepare yourself for that physical process of dying, we are having to make peace with our human life that that is absolutely necessary then we prepare ourselves for the mental process of dying your thoughts your fears acknowledging you know we're having a little technical difficulty i see that um, she has dropped off but she'll she'll return but we've got to prepare ourselves mentally for what is coming we've got to face the fears we have to face the the regrets the um the need to go through the the process of what am I going to do? Who am I going to leave behind? Did I take care of my bills? I, did I prepare for the funeral? It's a very mental process. There's a lot of thinking that is going on, if you, especially if you happen to know that that's coming. Now, of course, if you have a an accident and you end up um, totally and completely uh, unconscious, you know, obviously you're not going to go through that, but the family's going to go through that. And then you got to prepare yourself for the emotional process of dying. Then, then comes the, the, the departing process, preparing ourselves for the, the departing process of dying, and then being there. These are what is really so wonderful about this book that Melody has written, is that in many ways, what she does with people as they transition from the the non the physical world from the bodies to the non-physical to accept what we are from that non-physical perspective that we're eternal beings where there is no completion to what we are is actually the very same thing that I do with people while they're in this physical experience because my work as as Melody is a, a midwife that that takes people through a bridge from physical to non-physical I assist people on the bridge through the processes of the death of the ego, the death of our personality, the death of our separate sense of self, the death of who we think we are as individuals that are different and separate from one another, and 
begin the process of allowing that sense of separation to die while we are in human form as there is the birthing of the sense of oneness, of a return to the truth of who we are, the acceptance of that non-physical aspect of who we are, the merging with the all that isness that allows us to live our lives without fear of dying. Because as long as we don't understand that we are totally and completely um, created, made as non-physical beings, we will live our lives in fear of death, which is what happened to me with my mom. It is what happened to me um, in so many ways. So Melody, we've got you back. I'm so glad that you're here. <laughs> you know, we've got to deal with technology. So we had a little bit of a, of a death there. There was a death <laughs> of how it was, and now there's a rebirth of how it is. But I was sharing that. So as I walk people on that bridge, very much parallel to what Melody does, we have to prepare our minds. We have to look at the thinking that has us believe that we're separate from one another. We have to look at the thinking that has us believe that we are less, you know, some are higher, some are lesser, that some are special, some are not, that the male is better than the female, that the white is superior to the black, that the uh, straight is somehow better suited for family than, than the, the transgender or gay or, or any, any other kind of sexual orientation. So we've got to go through a process of, of cleaning up the mind. And every single time we look at a belief that no longer serves us, there is a death process. We've got to let it go. It, it dies to us. It's no longer part of who we are because we decide to mentally let that go. And then, of course, those, you know, we move from that mental process to the emotional um, process. And eventually we there is a, a departing of that old self, which in my world we call that the 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 awakening. You you transcend your egoic yes. self, so you yes. are alive while you are in a physical body, but you're alive because you recognize that the life that you are is the creative source expressing itself in multiple, you know, in billions of ways. Um, so back to you, I was just making that correlation between what you do from physical to non-physical is what I do from ego to, to soul, ego to essence. Yes, yes. Same thing. Same thing. Same exact thing. And one of the things that, one of the sweetest experiences that I ever had with my dad, um, he and I were very close when I was young. And, um, and we went through a betrayal experience. And, um, and so I, for a period of time did not have contact with him just cut off contact and um and then as we as as he felt um to make amends to me and to to apologize and we started to have contact again um the very first conversation we had um and and during this three years that we had not spoken i had gone within to find where that betraying, angry, one up, one down, inner patriarch was in me and, and integrate that and let that go. And so we had this beautiful conversation at the end of which he said, your stepmother and I are very aware of what you're doing to help your brothers and we're very proud of you. And there was a pause in which I took in what he had said and realized this is the first time in my life 
that my dad has ever praised me that I haven't like worked to earn that or wanted to get that. And I recognize the absence of that need for approval, the absence of what I would now look back and say was manipulation for praise. And, and in that pause, as I paused and took that in, he did it as well. And our relationship was so much closer and more connected and sweeter after that, even though um, I, in those intervening years, I had completely left the church. And, um, and he was holding some concerns about me that I was gonna end up in outer darkness. <laughs> and so we had to have the, the sort of the conversation in which I said, so daddy, if we're going to have a real relationship, then I'm gonna need you while we're together, while we're on the phone together, while we're in person together, I'm gonna need you to set aside your beliefs about, my, about what's gonna happen in my future. Because I don't hold those beliefs for myself, but when you're present for them, <clears throat> that wall of fear is in between us and I can feel it, it's not comfortable and I, I'm not, I don't choose to be with that. So you can decide if you want a relationship with me while we're together, if you could just set that aside. Say a little bit more because what you're saying is really important. Um, so the fears that your dad had that you were gonna end up in hell, up in hell outer darkness you right. know that is that is precisely why it's so important that we go through the awakening process the resurrection process while we're alive not Absolutely. wait till after the death the crucifixion process which in in christianity you know that is what christ jesus came to teach i'm i'm a student of the course of miracles and and teach from it and there's a line that says, you know, I am not a body, I am free, for I am still as God created me. So Jesus came to teach, don't worship the body, worship exactly. the eternal. And every single time that we have, we experience that fear that somebody is going to die, it's because we're operating from a lack of awareness of what we really are. We're operating in an illusion, in a made up fantasy, a, ch a children's story. We've been sold a children's story to keep us scared and, and exactly. controllable and, and following, you know, that patriarchal rule that, you know, wait till father comes home, you know, father's going to beat you up when, when you die, you're going to get beaten up when you're a kid, you're going to get beaten up by the boss, you're going to get beaten up by the husband, you're going to get, oh my God, the government, all these, all these patriarchal structures, structures yeah. yeah, that are going to beat you up and, and condemn you to something terrible. But it is through the deciding that that is no longer the truth that we hold, that we free ourselves to the resurrection process. Yeah. Uh, and, you, you know, I, I feel very blessed because many Mormons who graduate themselves are shunned. They're mm -hmm. shunned by their family. And I, I can't think of a worse punishment. In, in ancient times, if you were shunned, you were put out from the village and you, were, you died. You were nobody. Um, yeah. You were nobody. Yeah. And... Um, and so I feel very blessed that when I made that request of my dad, he was able to do that. When we were together, he was present for the joy and the love that was always between us. Well, as he approached, as he got closer to death, he called me at one point and he said, Melody, I need to understand what you believe happens after we die. 
And I said, okay, daddy, do you want to tell me again what you believe happens after we die? Because that's, you know, how those conversations usually went. And he said, no, I know I need to understand what you believe. And so, you know, I, I was honest. I said, dad, when I was Mormon, I, I was so comforted by all of those Mormon beliefs about what happens because Mormons do know everything that's gonna happen after you die in five minute increments. I mean, they have, they have it all planned out. And I said, those beliefs I held were so comforting. But what I decided to do, I, I studied every major world religion and many spiritual traditions after I left the church to, to make a deliberate decision what I believed. And what I eventually came to was a decision to adopt the Buddhist state of not knowing and not needing to know. So what I what I um, what I decided was that I would believe what I had evidence of for myself. And so I, I explained this to him, and I said, "So what I can tell you that I know without a doubt, and I know it in my bones, I know it in my blood, is that when we die." And I know this because of all the shared death experiences I've had. When we die, we are return, returned to our source, which is love. Mm -hmm. And I said, so daddy, I'm not afraid to die. Mm. And he I took, love that. He took that in, Lana, and then he, it, there was a pause. And then he said, I go to prepare a place for you in the kingdom of my father. And I, I knew that what he was saying is, I don't really understand what you just said, but wherever I go, there will be room at the table for you. Mm. Mm, that is so beautiful. I think I have had more chills in an episode of Align with Lina with you than I have with <laughs> anybody else. So I had a near life experience. Mm. And in 2007, I had this amazing encounter with Creative Source. And, you know, it's one of those things that's hard to describe because there was so much to it that my mind could never fully describe what was eternity for me in, in just in, in sufficient words because of all that was shown to me. And when I had that encounter with Source, I, I was shown everything is nothing but pure energy. As a matter of fact, I had such fears of God that it told me to call it Jesel, which is an acronym. God is the source of the energy of love. And it was so loving. And it basically just said, and it was consciousness speaking to me, you know, what you call God is nothing more than the source of the energy of all that is. And because it's all that is, it's love because there's nothing that it wouldn't love because it is all itself. Right. And in that experience, I came to know everything. But at that time, it was the time for me to begin to let go of everything I knew as a human. So the journey since 2007 has been to let the egoic mind die, the, the expectations of what is, enter into that I do not know, but I do not know as a human, but I have access to the one that knows everything, which is where my peace comes from. I have zero fear of death, zero fear of anything, 
because I am comforted by my knowingness of what I am. And I am the father, mother, God, source, whatever you want to call it, that energy is what I'm made of. And so is everybody else. And to me, that's when I began to really come alive is there was no fear of death. It was right. falling away to the right. point that it freed me. Well, then if I'm not afraid, then what the hell can I do? Right. I can do whatever I want to do. Exactly. And that relationship, exactly. you gave your dad a gift because you helped shift his perception into something that, I mean, it's it's a path to freedom. To, to me, right. understanding our eternal non-physical self is, is the path of liberation. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just, for me, the closest that I come to having those shared death experiences um, is, is in my Kundalini Yoga teacher training, doing all the pranayama and all the meditating after the yoga to achieve that same awareness that you described that we are all, I don't even use the term God anymore. Um, uh, because to me, God and goddess, these are archetypes. Yeah. These are archetypes human, in our consciousness. Human-made human archetypes. Human-made yes. human archetypes. Yeah. And once we've had actual experience, uh, still being in the body, but have actual experience of our multidimensional nature mm -hmm. and of our self as source, why do we need to call it a name? Why do we need to put it in a package in a and box. sell it? Put it in a box and sell it. Not put it in a box. Put it in a book. Put it in a building. You know, put right. it in a in a city. Yes, all of those limitations begin to fall away, and that is what liberation is. You know, first, like like you were saying, that physical process of dying is the recognition that there's something eternal. That mental is all the beliefs, the thoughts, the ideas that really limit us. But we, we cannot avoid it. I want to talk about this emotional uh, process because when you're alive and you have pain, you have uh, suffering, all, those, all that thinking activates fear, all of that, right. that right. sense of guilt and shame and regret. Because when you're not treated as a divine holy being that you are from the get-go, you accumulate emotional baggage and that emotional baggage has to be released, has to be addressed. We have to recognize that the energy that we are doesn't feel free to be itself. So it restricts and defines and confines itself within our physical bodies, which is where sickness comes from. And the energy body, the energy body as well. So exactly when when I do a personal clearing, we're clearing not just the physical body, which is often very constricted with this emotional charge, but we also clear the energetic bodies. And I can tell when someone is holding a lot of limiting beliefs because those thought forms are in their mental body. I can tell when someone's emotions are often triggered because all that emotional charge is in the emotional body. Well, let's talk about how big our bodies are because from what, I, what has been shown to me, we carry about a six, seven meters around us, a field of energy. I mean, that's how freaking big we are. We oh, think that this is all we are, but we are so much faster. Share, how, how do you teach people who are going through this process? Maybe let's say they're new 
to what you're teaching them, but they feel they feel your sincerity, they feel somebody's referred them, so they trust you and they are about to go through a deaf experience. How do you prepare somebody? Let's say they're listening to us right now. Well, actually, I feel like all of us are in that category. Like my <laughs> book is my book and my teachings are for anyone who may someday die. If you have a body, you need to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So so yeah, I you know, it's it's important for us to locate in the book I I speak about the locus of control. Because I feel like it's very important as I um 1990 was when my mom died and I very much recognized at that time that um, the doctors and the hospice people were the locus of control mm -hmm. and and that we were you know family members were not really making choices my mom was not really at choice um, although even to have hospice hospice was a new thing <laughs> right back then yeah. and to have that was a real blessing a real gift because um, it was a it was a much more family centered experience to have her dying at home yeah. and yet um, the locus of the control was still outside of her and a few years later i read a i read an um, a scientific uh, article written around a study done by Dr. Julian Rotter. And I think it was done right around that time, maybe late 80s. And, um, and he's, he talked about the better outcomes that patients had in hospitals when they actually felt themselves to be somewhat at choice oh, yeah. versus, versus people who felt like they had no choice. The doctor yeah. would decide all of their treatment and they just had to comply. And that got me thinking and that got me really aware that um, when we treat the dying person, just like when we treat the birthing mother as the locus of control in the room and that all decisions go back to what she or he would want, then it's easier. There are better outcomes in the dying experience. So I extrapolate that when I'm working with myself, when I'm going through a hard time. I ask myself, where's the locus of my attention? And when I find it um, not serving me, it's always wrapped around a belief that yeah. has some fearful outcome. And when I can unwrap my attention from the belief and locate my attention in the part of me that is source, mm -hmm. I have much better outcome. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. So preparing the person to um recognize you know that that within so so give us so we're, we're coming to the top of the hour there's so many things i would like to talk to you about let me make sure that we mention how people can reach you obviously through facebook send melody a friend request but let's put here her website and it's transformingspace.com transforming space.com. I'm going to spell it out for anybody who is listening for the podcast. T-R-A-N-S-F-O-R-M-I-N-G space S-P-A-C-E.com so that you can connect with her, get on her mailing list so that you'll be up, you know, what's going on with the book and, and all the wonderful things because she doesn't just teach about this. She teaches so much and shares so much. Um, so what, what would be something, let's say uh, there's person I, I know right now a friend a dear friend you you probably know her too 
her daughter uh, just passed away. And, you know, a lot of people don't have time to prepare for a death experience. But what would be some things that you would say to a mom who just lost her child to help her with your teachings in navigating the death, you know, with consciousness? So it's interesting. I have a really close friend here in uh, Asheville whose mother just passed in her care. And she's now reading my book. And she said, oh, this is so helpful for the grieving to read. Um, but what I would say to people who are in anticipatory grief, uh, their loved one will be dying, or they're in a real full on, my loved one is gone from me in the physical form grief process, is that um, especially when it's our child, I've gone through you know, griefs of grief of all kinds. Um, and to me, that is the most painful um, loss to, to lose a child. Um, it, to recognize that whatever else you have going on in your life, the moments that you can allow yourself to feel the grief when it is present, when that wave of grief moves through you, if you can let that energy be in motion, um, emotion is energy in motion. If you can cry and sob and wail and keen, you will be receiving at the end of that process. Usually when you lose a child, it's at least two years of real intensity. You will be receiving gifts that, you, that I can barely contain in words, but the, the process is meant to hollow us out, to be a clearer, cleaner channel for compassion to flow. Mm. Well, that, that is just absolutely so beautiful. Let's tie that to what's going on in the world right now, and yes. this great awakening that we're in the middle of, because humanity is shifting from being in the box of just thinking we're only, you know, three-dimensional beings to shifting. We are we are growing, we're maturing. We're moving yes. out of the kindergarten years of being just humans right. to accepting the consciousness, the, the multidimensionality of who we are. So right now is, is a time where we are going to be experiencing more and more that connection of those who have passed because the veil is thinning. Yes. So speak a little bit to that, to what you are understanding and how is it that we're going to be experiencing death in the years to come until we are all fully in that total, completely eternal, non-physical self? So I really see that um, we are in a shamanic death as a culture right now. We have these old structures coming down and we don't yet have the new that will replace them. But what we do know is that whatever comes will be more, uh, will, will not be this one up, one down patriarchal, nor will I think it will be matriarchal. It will be more synarchy, heterarchy, where like the beehive, where we're all working together for this common goal or good. So as this process takes place, um, in, in a death, there's always suffering. There's always pain, there's always suffering and physical, mental, emotional. And so to be facile and to be um, mature in your ability to grieve is going to be like a number one requirement for resiliency. Yeah. 
Um, I co-facilitate in-person grief retreats. The next one will hopefully be this fall in Atlanta, but we're going to be doing one online in July because we know we need to make this available. These ways of holding grief and these ways of moving through our collective grief, um, we need to make it more available. Well, and again, we could talk about this for, for hours, but what you're saying is so crucial. We have not been allowed to, well, we have not been taught to grieve consciously. Right. And so much of the grieving process that we're experiencing is not just the death of a loved one now, not just the death of a structure, but is is all of those deaths that we have had in our lives that we have not been allowed to be fully grieve. Fully, no. Yes. So the death of a child uh, today can activate the death of a marriage, the death of a, right. of a career, the death of a, your parent when you were little, the death of your puppy. So we are grieving in layers because we were not taught how to have reverence for that experience while we were while we've been in physical form. So it. Oh my goodness, that, that would open up a whole nother conversation. Maybe you have to come back and we have to do a part two. I, I would love that because I, because my work around grieving is, it, you know, there's so much we could say around that because I, when my son died, I knew that I could not receive what I needed from my own culture. I actually purchased a book and started doing trainings about how grief is held in other cultures. And it's true that death is not an individual solitary experience in other cultures. They have much more facility with grief because it's communal, it's shared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it is shared because of the understanding that we are one. Exactly. And, okay. Well, we will definitely schedule part two because there's <laughs> okay. so much I want to start saying and, and we got to wrap it up. So go ahead and, and uh, share your last words of wisdom to leave people with a nugget of um, the deliciousness that you share and teach and so lovingly gift us today. So growing up the way I did in born in the 50s, um, in a very patriarchal culture, in a very patriarchal religion, in a very patriarchal family. The structure in my consciousness was this one up, one down experience. And as I've emerged out of that experience, as I've graduated, my life's work is to is partnership, is to work in partnership wherever I am. I, we partner with the land we live on, we cultivate it, we bless it, we have a reciprocal, sustainable relationship with our land, with the home we live in, with the body we live in, um, with each other, my husband and I, with our children and grandchildren. And I would also really um, urge all of us to have a sustainable partnership, a beautiful partnership with the processes of life and death. And to recognize that we can cooperate with these processes or we can resist them and cause more suffering for ourselves. And that's not needed. Mm -hmm. it's, it's part of maturing is to learn when to lean in even when something is uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yes. We will definitely have to pick up in that, learning how to lean in because that is something that we have got to become masters of in this world of massive changes that are, that are, we're upon those changes. They're happening and they're right. only going to intensify. And right. that's a good thing. We have to let go yes. what out, out, out served us. We, its use is, has come to a completion in this time 
to let that go. So Melody, thank you so much. So for those thank of you. you who are listening, please join me next week for the next episode of Align with Lina on Mondays, always Mondays, Eastern Standard Time at um, 12 o'clock. And I've got Dr. Ken Harris. And he is a chiropractor, but he, by, by training, however, he's, he's a shaman. He's an energy healer. He does so much more than, than that because he understands the innate energy that moves through all of us. So please join me next week for that conversation and look for another date with uh, Melody because, oh my goodness, thank you. We You're have welcome. to have this conversation. And how soon, let's say one more thing. How soon can people find your book, Transforming Death? creating sacred space for the dying? Hopefully within the next couple of weeks, but definitely before the end of June. And um, it'll be live on Amazon, but they can go to my website and there will be a link there. Is there a way for people to sign up for a newsletter if they go to your website? Yes, as a matter of fact, if they go to my website down at the bottom of the page, um, they can sign up and they'll receive two audio meditations. One is for um, running full life force in your body as well as aligning with your life purpose. And the other is how to bring the resonance of that life purpose into the home you live in and the land you live on. Oh, I love that. Well, good. Make sure you go to her website. And uh, the, the website was transformingspaces.com. So be sure to do that. Thank you, everybody. Really appreciate it. And remember, we really, truly are magnificent. We're waking up to the truth that we are way more than we've been taught we are. And it's time to embrace the more that we are because the, the time is now to awaken to that truth. Thank you all so much. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.